Okay, hello. Welcome back to Let It Out. My name is Katie. This week on the podcast, I talk to Athena. She's a former architect. She's a current author of the book Leaving with Love, which is about the decision to leave and subsequent personal growth that can happen as a result of big life transitions. She's a shaman. She's a mother of five. She's really lovely, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on listening to our conversation. I also want to tell you a little behind the scenes, which is that I get a ton of emails from publicists, and some of them I get to respond to, and it's, it's I'm so grateful. I've just been doing this for so long that I, I every once in a while I get to have a real anomaly of, you know, getting to speak to people I I wouldn't normally know or get to speak to, and Athena is one of them. And Athena's publicist, Samantha, reached out to me, and Sam is so cool. And we had the best conversation. There's another upcoming guest who you'll hear from that is another client of Sam's. And I just am so grateful that I get to do this and I get to meet people that I wouldn't normally get to have conversations with. And you who are listening, it means so much to me and I'm excited for you to listen to this one. If you want to sign up for the new newsletter that will have launched by the time you're listening to this and it's been a long time coming, let it out list, our Substack, the link is in the show notes as well as where to find Athena and her book and the article that I read a passage from in this and much, much more. So thank you again. And here's my conversation with Athena. Athena, I am so happy that that you're here. We've been chatting for a bit. How do you describe what you do to someone you've never met? Yeah, I love that. I actually had a conversation with my new little cousin who's um through through partnership through my partner, it's his family side. Um and I met his cousin's daughter who is 9 years old. <laughs> and we were having a conversation about careers last night. Literally just uh-huh. last night. and she's telling me about how first, first she started with hey when I grow up, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I was wow. like, Interesting. right. Like, why do you want to do that? And she's like, well, they make a lot of money. And I said, oh, wow. Very cool. Um, if that's something that you feel like you'd be really good at and you like, then that's awesome. And she's like, what other jobs make a lot of money? And we Googled. And of course, it was medical professions that came up with salaries in the two and three hundreds. And I shared like, well, I know women who have worked as executives in the city for marketing firms and they make $400,000. And, um, and I said, but also, you know, what about Taylor Swift? (laughs) She said, yeah, she's making millions of dollars. (laughs) I said, yeah, she's making like a million a night right now. Um, So we started going to 
what these professions were and how much money they made. And then she asked me, well, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I'm a shaman. And I said, well, do you know what that is? And she's like, no. And I said, well, do you know what a counselor or a therapist is? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, it's like that, but with a spiritual twist on it. I help people with their spirits when, when you're feeling sad or depressed and you're feeling like it's just something in your spirit is not right. That's what I help people with. And if you feel like you want your spirit to be happier or brighter or more free, then I help people figure out what they can do and I help them to actually get there. And I said, um, I also work with their helpers, you know, their angels, their guides, et cetera. And this nine-year-old was like, oh, yeah, like they're spirit guides. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I have one. And she started telling me about her spirit guide and how she sees her and how she started out as just kind of hearing her in her mind. But then she started to see her. I said, that's interesting. That happens with people I work with where they might not at first understand that some of the voices in their head are not their own. And then they start to learn through our work together that not all those voices are theirs and we can tune into individual voices in our mind. And she said, sometimes in my mind, it feels like a busy office building. Mm. (laughs) And and yeah, you know, that happens to a lot of us that it sounds like a busy office building inside of our heads. And I said, I help people to turn down some of those voices so that they can have more silence in their mind and hear the voices that they want to hear. And sometimes I will share messages from people for people from their helpers when they're doubting it or not clear. And she said, Oh, like a medium. This nine-year-old was incredible. And I said, yeah, exactly. Like a medium. I said, I actually do do mediumship work as well, where I talk to people's loved ones who are angels now who have crossed over. And we just had this incredible talk. She said, well, do you know about tarot cards? And I said, yeah, I used to read tarot cards for people. And I have probably, you know, over 50 tarot decks in the garage right now. maybe closer to 100. I'm not even sure anymore. Um, So we had some really awesome talks about the work that I do. But I loved having the conversation with a nine-year-old and explaining it through that lens where it's super easy to understand and really focused on the fact that at the most basic level, my work is to help my clients, my friends, my family, whoever, with sorting through the yucky stuff in their minds the old beliefs, the voices to kind of get super clear on what it is that they want, what it is that they don't want. And I use a little bit of extra help from the spirit world. And we literally manifest new lives for people every day. Wow. I loved hearing about that through the lens of your cousin, a a nine-year-old, because I, I, I like you, like I, I recently, I was telling a friend this, funnily enough, also this weekend, I made friends with an 11-year-old, and I don't mean like, um, like, oh, she was so sweet and and tried with me for a minute. Like, I actually, like, she was so cool, and I and I know she felt the same because (laughs) we were we were sitting at the coffee shop, and and I, you know, I kind of know everybody who goes by and we're like chatting and just like sitting out there, like enjoying morning coffee. And she was Mm -hmm. holding these flowers. And I was like, wow, your flowers are so pretty. We got chatting about it. And then 
we did that thing. I don't know if you've done it where when you take a photo, it, I didn't even know that phones could do this, but it, it will like tell you each kind of flower, you know, and like link to it. What? I know, it, it is, it kind of, it kind of freaked me out, but I'd never seen it before. So we were like, whoa. That's so cool. Yeah. And then we kept kind of just like playing around with it. Like, let's do this tree. Let's do this person. And her mom was there. She was just like chatting with this other person who I know. And then, you know, we, you know, we're like joking around and we're chatting and she's chatting with my other friend. And then I know she felt the same about our friendship because she walks up to her mom and she goes, Hey mom, I made a friend. Can I invite her over to play later? Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I had to like, talk to the mom who was probably like younger than me and be like, uh, "Yeah, your daughter's really cool." <laughs> like, That's amazing. So funny. Um, but I like talking to kids like they're grownups. You know what I mean? It sounds like yes. you're you're and you are a mother and have 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 many children. But yes, <laughs> I think it's 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 fun to you know have conversations in that way and. And, and then it, it makes you think a little bit differently about things when they ask you questions opposed to a peer in age or a grown up or someone older or right. younger by less years. So what was the resolute? Like, was she still like, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon? Or do you think you kind of planted a seed that opened things up yeah. for her? Yeah, it was, we, we ended up just laughing so hard. So we went through all these different professions, careers, ways you can make money. I shared, you know, how much I make sort of, and I was like, it's not really consistent, but here's a normal session, what I make, here's what I make teaching, you know, um, And so we talked through musicians and people I know that own businesses that, earn a lot of money. And I said, the thing is, the more people that you can help or inspire, the more money that you're going to make. And she said, well, I think I'm going to be a singer. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, actually, I'm going to be a singing orthopedic surgeon. And she's like, I'll charge extra for the singing. So we were just joking around about, you know, somebody's coming in for a a surgery and you can offer an add-on to serenade them. And she was being really silly, um, pretending to sing and do a surgery. But I I hope that I planted the seed with her that you can have multiple professions, multiple jobs or careers. And that's what I'm teaching my children right now. You know, you can pick a focus area, but you can also explore how to have your other talents and meld them together and create something new. Um, And I actually have a young client in her 20s who's going to be graduating school soon. And she actually asked a question in one of our group forums last week, asking me for and the rest of the group for advice on you know, what do you do when you're graduating college and you're trying to decide on a career and you don't know what you want to do and this and that? And I said, the days of finding a job are over. We're in the the new age of creating a job. Yeah. And so that's what I'm working to really inspire adults who are dissatisfied with their careers, uh, but also my children and other children that I come in contact with. That we're in a new age. We're in the age of Aquarius. This is the time where we we craft and create new offerings and careers and services and jobs. We don't have to find existing ones. Yeah, it's interesting. When did the age of Aquarius begin? It was like maybe 2013 or something like it was maybe 10 years ago. 
I feel like we were kind of like trickling in, building up to it. They say, I think it was like tw- tw- uh, 2012. I think they said we were like kind of starting, but honestly, like from what my guides have kind of shown me, um, it really, we really crossed the line in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So it was like, we were in like a dark tunnel. We didn't know what was going on. Then COVID hit. Then we kind of had to sever the ties to the past. And we severed them forcibly so. And then everybody stepped out literally like new person, new jobs, new relationships, new homes. Like there was a lot of newness coming as we crossed the line into this age. And uh, my focus lately has been relationships and family structures, family dynamics. Uh, I'm a blended family as well. So I've been doing a lot of writing and speaking and um, helping others with that and also studying and interviewing other families that are blended and out of out of 2020 we're finding that there are just massive troves of new blended families new relationships divorce um which also my my first book leave with love was very much about uh leaving relationships so i'm finding that kind of post covid like entry into what i feel is this new age of aquarius like we're in new dynamics with everything. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I remember hearing about it at at the time I was doing yoga teacher training in 2012. And I was working for interning for someone who is now a very big motivational speaker and self-help book author. and, And she was very into Kundalini yoga. And I remember just constantly hearing about the age of Aquarius and, and yeah, feeling like even back then, you know, I, I, I graduated from college in 2012 and thought I wanted to be a TV news reporter and realized mm. like, Oh, I, I'm thinking I'm going to do this other thing over here. But I, I could have never anticipated the career job that I have and thinking about your little cousin, like it is so interesting because when I was nine podcasting, I mean, radio existed, but like a podcast in this form, I couldn't have ever conceived of the job or the life that I have now. Like I, I live in California. The furthest West I'd been was Chicago. Like if you just like haven't been expanded to see what's possible. So that conversation with her just seems so valuable to be like, there's another way to see it. And let me actually like give you some numbers because I, I used to always say I wanted to work at a bank when I got older because that was what my mom didn't know anybody else, you know, like, and I'm not even like suited to do that. I don't think she is either, but like, it just what was (laughs) available, you know? Um, and like, yeah, I, I, I just love that, that you had that conversation and, and then, but hearing about people talking about the age of Aquarius back then and thinking about like, knowing there was a a newness and knowing it was a recession or we were coming out of recession and and knowing that things were different, but like thinking about that to now 10 plus years later is so almost inconceivable for my brain. And it's funny that you brought up Taylor Swift because I, I, as everyone is, I've been thinking about her a lot, but she's sort of the, the celebrity that I orient time with because we're exactly the same age. And I, as you know, most of people are, she's so everywhere that, you know, we're aware of her career, but I, she said at one of her concerts early on and and this, you know, got, got picked up where I saw it and it was on my birthday that I read this, but she said, I'm 33 years old, which in 
pop star years is 174, you know, like making a joke on stage. <laughs> and yeah. I was, it really kind of hit me hard because I was like, wait, what? Taylor Swift's, Taylor Swift's old? Like, is she the man? that means I'm probably not going to be a, uh, a pop star, you know, but it's the way we like orient time. And, and it is so interesting to think about. I, I, I think that, you know, coming out of 2020, I, I relate to everything you said. Was that, was that the case for you with orienting time and, and change? Like you described coming out of 2020 in these last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that, that you personally have, have Ooh, done? That's so interesting. First, let me tell you how synchronous. I also completed my yoga teacher training in 2012. Um, which is pretty funny. And so funny. I trained at a Kundalini yoga studio. <laughs> um, oh my so gosh. Yeah. Yes. Sam <laughs> so knew a- connecting us that we'd have all these parallels. Right. right? That's so I cool. found some more while preparing that I'll tell you later in this program. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and immediately when you said that, I felt like um, there are a lot of us, and then you brought up Taylor Swift and all that. I felt like immediately there are a lot of us that are on the same frequency and we're moving together like this great migration into this new reality, right? The 5D reality. And I, I feel like we're traveling together. Like we left 2012, we started packing our bags, we started the great migration, and then we kind of landed in 2021. Like, all right, here we are. Um, so, I went through over the course of those years between um, 20, really 2013 to to 20, well, we'll say to now. <laughs> After the last 10 years, I went through this, you know, when we're thinking about like migrating from 3D to 5D living over the last decade and kind of entering into this new age, I was feeling pretty jaded by my career in architecture, even though that's what I'd studied. And that's what I've been doing for almost a decade. I was like, Oh, I'm just my soul's not alive. This isn't lighting me up. And I really love yoga. And I've been I had been practicing yoga since, um, since I was 18, and like stepped into college. And so, you know, at that point, I really felt this calling as many of us do when we're awakening um, to our higher self toward the yoga teacher training. So I when I was let go from a job, I went ahead and enrolled, did the yoga teacher training, came out of it, had opportunities right away. So I was kind of still doing architectural work, but then also moonlighting as a yoga teacher. And I was exploring tarot and all these things that I'd always been interested in, but now I felt really free to explore them. And I was doing more and more readings for people and people would come back and be like, Oh my God, that thing you told me last year, like everything came true. Everything happened. You know, their minds were kind of blown and I'm, I'm just doing it for fun. I wasn't charging anyone. I was just literally just having fun reading for people at parties and stuff. Um, I already have one kid at that time, but a year after my yoga teacher training, I'm teaching yoga in the schools. I was working with a nonprofit in DC called Yo Kid and I was loving it. And I was able to do more with my son who was nine at the time, or he was eight actually at the time. And then I got pregnant with my second kid. We decided city's really expensive. Let's move. We actually looked at California, uh, but then California was the same cost of living as DC. So we said, where can we go? That's going to be a lower cost of living, but we're going to have that beach life that we want. And we 
looked at the map and we'd been exploring um, the like Ocean City, Maryland area and the Delaware, Rehoboth Beach area. And we ended up going with Rehoboth Beach area and we moved. And when we moved, I just I felt this strong pull from spirit to completely cut the tie to architecture because I was still kind of holding on when we moved and I, I had opportunities to work remotely and it paid well, especially relative to what you make in Delaware, because um, I would have been working with DC architects. And I just said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to have to listen to what I feel guided and I'm going to have to say no. And it made no sense. And it was really scary, but I did it. I said, no, I focused on the yoga training. I focused on just being home with my kids, ended up pregnant with my third kid. And um, let's just say like over the course of those years, my marriage ended up unraveling, ended up separating, divorcing, um, getting really sick, having to heal, working with shamans, doing shaman training. Grow and then becoming a shaman, growing my practice, you know, all the things. But that all happened, you know, over the course of the last decade. And wow. I feel like I finally landed, right? Like after a decade, I feel like in COVID, I met my now soulmate, my partner. Um, we met right before COVID, which was really interesting. Right before it hit, we met very synchronously. And we slowly grew a friendship. And then next thing we knew, we're like, oh my God, like I've been looking for you for a lifetime, <laughs> you know? And then we just, because of COVID, we just immediately were bonded. <laughs> um, so that, that happened relatively quickly after we moved out of friendship and into partnership. The bonding ha- happened, <laughs> felt like instantly. And we ended up blending our families um, so we've landed, we've like moved into a new home. I mean, I'm literally in my dream home that I've wanted for seven years. And we're, you know, I, I would say that I can, I can honestly say that I'm living in my dream life with my dream partner in my dream house, right? Like all the things. And I feel like, ah, oh, I've landed. And the final piece of the puzzle, and I don't want to say final in a sense of like, oh God, final, now I'm going to die because there's <laughs> going to be more work. Um, but the piece of the puzzle that I'm putting into place right now is my program. So I've completely shifted the way that I serve as a shaman and I've developed um, a program that allows me to work with groups and individuals and also to train other facilitators. It's my soul medicine program. So that's been another, when we talk about creating jobs, I've created this not just for myself, but for other healers as well. And this offering for others who need what we can offer and don't even know it exists and don't know where to find it. My work right now is to present that to the masses so that people who need to do this beautiful, deep soul work and don't know where to begin, that they can come and find this resource that maybe nothing like this has ever existed before. Yeah, I heard you talk about or I read somewhere you were speaking on. And also, first of all, I'm so that's so much change. And hearing all of that, I'm, I'm curious what it felt like to you to to sort of go through it like that, because in a relatively short amount of time, that's so much change. And I'm sure many ups and downs and and heaviness within that, but I'm so happy that all of that that happened for you. And 
I'm excited for for what's next. But what I was going to say is you were speaking about the importance of groups versus one-on-one working with people. Not that there's not value in in one-on-one and and obviously there is, and I've experienced that. And, and I know you have as well, but the thing that stuck with me is you were saying that something that can't happen in one-on-one that can happen more easily in groups is about a level of empathy and non-specialness that can happen when you, when you talk about something heavy or intense and you, and I think, you know, that is part of the benefit of, of, conversation you know of of that conversation yeah. you had with your with your cousin or the conversation yeah. that we're having right now people eavesdropping on them like podcast because yeah. it can expand people to know what's possible and to to see things differently and and to know that we're not all that special you know like yeah, the, I love the, it. I love it. we're really not like we all of the you know and that's the thing that I, I think it can be comforting sometimes to, to feel oh. that and can sometimes feel like oh <laughs> shit i thought i you know i was the only one that that experiences but i think that's the kind of the the magic of 12 step rooms and that's the magic of connection yes. through facilitating in in groups but it doesn't just happen you know necess- it can at a dinner party or at a gathering or but yes. when it's facilitated by someone like like you and the work that you do and when i I've, I've done that around my my book about journaling when i would the journaling yeah. workshops or even teaching yoga, you know, I think any time where there's like safety and connection, you can see like, oh, I'm not the only one that feels this way. And so can you talk about what you meant by that and unpack that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um I love that. You're not that special. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the tagline on soul medicine. So, um yeah, so I a lot of times I say I'm like, you're not alone. And I find myself in private sessions saying again and again, trust me, you're not the only one that feels this way. You're not the only one who experiences these kinds of thoughts and feelings and triggers and reactions. You're a human. This is natural. We're gonna work through it. And in group, you know, you show up in group and you hear another woman that's like, oh my God, I was triggered by this and I lost control of myself and I reacted and I couldn't stop crying or this or that. Um, I went into a deep funk for three days, like I couldn't speak or I, um, my partner was trying to support me and I just couldn't even hear him and I was acting like a child. And, you know, like you get in and you hear another woman saying this, and you're like, oh. I'm not the only one, right? So that's really helpful. Also in soul medicine, we do go deep where we talk about our traumas and we don't talk about them to the point where we're like reliving the traumas, but we talk about how they're affecting us now. You know, like how are my traumas and those unresolved parts of myself affecting my current relationship? How are they affecting how I view myself? How are they affecting my relationship with money, my self-confidence, my um, belief that I need to stay in this job I don't want to stay in? Like, how are those unhealed, unresolved parts of me affecting me now? And not only how are they doing that, but how can I find that resolution? How can I heal that so that I can stop this pattern? So I've, I've been doing that work in private sessions for years, but now I'm doing it in a group. So you have the magic of we're actually doing the work, the shamanic work, the soul work, the trauma work. 
um, the manifesting work, like we're actually doing it. We're not just talking about our problems. We're not just talking about, you know, our patterns and our triggers, but then we're actually going into journey. We're actually doing the journaling live time together. And then I really push for sharing, which so many people are frightened to share. But when you get in that space and you hear another woman share uh, something beautiful that she's journaled or something that she's seen in her shamanic journey that maybe like a lot of people think you will only catch on ayahuasca, these, you know, um, breakthrough visions, you can actually do them in shamanic journey with me to sound. And so we do the journeys together and we share and we share in the breakthroughs and we actually move forward we, and we actually start to stop those old patterns and behaviors. And we actually develop new ways of relating when our triggers um, pop up. And so in the group setting, I'm finding that it's actually exponentially, let's say 10x, right? There's like all this talk about 10x right now. Um, so you 10x your healing power when you're in a group setting. And that's what I'm seeing. And that's why I'm pushing so hard for people to um, break through their fears and and really give it a try. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I agree with that. And also, you know, going back to your our guiding light, your your cousin <laughs> who's nine. Um, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, Sawyer. Sawyer, Sawyer, the pa- Sawyer. <laughs> patron saint of, of this program. Um, right. But your your conversation with Sawyer, it, it's interesting because I it is true that, you know, working with one, one to many, you know, they, there's like all these, if you think about that from like an online business perspective or just a business perspective that like you can help more people at once. You can, you know, if you grow your audience, like there's all this conversation around that. But I think going back to what you're saying about changes in how things are <laughs> like post pandemic yeah. or just in general, like I, I like the way that you talk about it, of like, sure, that might be true, but like people can also make a lot of money working with people one-on-one. So there's, yeah. you know, pros and cons of both, but the way that yes. you talk about it of like, this is actually quite useful. And there's a lot of models for that beyond just your work. Like I said, I think the, I think that the 12 step program is a, a, the many, many versions of that. Like there's a magic there. Like there's a reason why that's a group situation, you know? And then there's, yeah. Yeah. And there's also like, of course, group therapy. And of course, there's an argument for like one-on-one there. There's, you know, where people feel comfortable, but it almost pushes you in a way to be in these group settings. And I've seen the magic of that. And it takes a really good facilitator as well, which I can already right. tell that you are, but there, there is some sort of radical empathy that, that can happen in those settings that I, I really do see a, a magic with. And I, I like the way that you, articulate that and and again with the the conversation with uh, with Sawyer one thing that I want to pick up on from that that you also mentioned with groups is using journaling and I know that guided journaling sessions are a cornerstone of your work and yeah. d- to me so I wrote this book many years ago 
it's called let it out it's same as the, as the show about journaling it's it's journaling prompts and i went around when the book came out and then and then after like i have led these workshops around doing it a live version of it and similarly you know i didn't anticipate that when i was writing the book at all i thought for sure it would be a private thing that you do by yourself that you don't share and i do actually think there's value to that as well but when facilitating these guiding journaling sessions it's a way to sort through the voices in your head and then and then i'm curious about what the sharing looks like for you because and and how that how you unpack that with people because you know to to Sawyer's point about one thing that really was telling i think of of what she said what was it she said that she has so many sometimes her mind feels like a crowded what did oh, she yeah, say? Oh yeah, busy a busy office building. A busy <laughs> office building and like i think that's the biggest value of journaling that i found is to sort through all those different voices. You know mm-hmm. what i mean? Yes. And, I think an uh, internal family systems model would say all those voices are different parts of you, like the director of finance, the inner child, the like, you know, mm-hmm. one trying to keep you safe. But you just kind of blew that out of the water for me in a way of like, maybe some of those are you, but they also might be a spirit guide or something like that, which I've never even thought of before. So mm-hmm. is that the way that, that you think of it? And does jour- journaling yes. help with that in a similar way? Totally. A hundred percent. So I um, work with my group. So I also lead shaman trainings, right? So I teach other individuals how to begin to tap into the spirit world on their own. A lot of people think, you know, wow, like you have these crazy abilities, you see things, you hear things, you feel things like, you know, like maybe I have it a little bit, but not as much as you. And that might be true. <laughs> um, Cause I might be a little bit off the charts with it, but wh- I've had my brain maps and everything and it's pretty off the charts. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is I believe that we all came here wired to be connected to the spirit world. And so it's like an avatar, right? Like we're all just these avatars of our higher souls or over souls, depending on your beliefs. And so there is a part of us that is guiding us in any moment. And that is one of those voices. But before we incarnated here on earth, from what I've been shown, we have an entire team of spirit guides, helpers, Um, we have a council that's supporting us here. And so if you can think about it, like an avatar, like in the movies, when you've got like a headset on, and you can hear your, your council or your guides, like telling you like, go turn left, keep going, you know, our guides are constantly guiding us and they're in our heads. And that's the main way they can communicate with us, but they do communicate in other ways. You'll find them communicating through signs, through um, synchronicities, um, through, you know, something you see on the TV or something you see in the store, you hear on the radio. So our guides are constantly communicating with us. But then we also have like angels who I view as different from our guides because our guides elected to guide us in this life towards our higher purpose, our mission. But then we have this um, group of angels, right? So there's archangels, there's all kinds. And the angels are kind of like, I think of them like 
911 or like the paramedics or the fire department. There's like specials you can call on. And a lot of them will not just show up unless you call them. (laughs) And so I'm constantly reminding people like, hey, I had a client today. I was like, hey, oh man, that sounds rough. Did you call for help for your angels on that? And she's like, no, I don't think I did. I'm like, yeah, always anytime where you feel like you need help or things are not working in your favor. Um, last week I dropped my oldest son at the airport and he was so worried that he wasn't going to make his flight out to LA. He's like, Oh my God, he's been looking forward to this trip. And so we're standing in the Philly airport and the line at security is so slow. And I was starting to get a little nervous. And I know he's texting me like, Oh my God, what if I miss my flight? And I just immediately was like, all right, angels, you know, Kai's really nervous about his flight. Can you help us? Like, is there any way you can help to make sure that he gets on his flight, that this line starts to move faster. And I kid you not, the line started moving like fast. And I reminded my son, I said, Kai, did you know that I just asked the angels for help? And did you notice that the line just started moving? He was like, yeah, weird. And I was like, when you're traveling, don't forget that. Don't forget when you feel nervous, when you feel anxious, ask for help, right? So we can ask for help. They can answer back, but the angels don't normally just show up in our minds, but our spirit guides do. That's kind of how you can discern between, you know, whose voice, if it's not, if it's not my voice, whose voice is it in my head? I would say generally, it's not going to be an angel, so to say, unless you called on them. Um, But there's another group who we sometimes think of as angels, which would be our loved ones, you know, like our family that's crossed over. And you'll know it's their voice because it'll usually be, it'll come into your mind as a thought that's almost phrased like something that someone you love has said. Right. So, so my mom's passed away. So a lot of times I'll hear her in my mind or I'll kind of like almost see her beside me in the car. Um, she'll show up in my dreams, but when it's just in my head, I can literally hear her speaking to me in my head. And a lot of us until we're trained and we've learned to trust that we might think that we're making it up or we might think that it's our own voice, even though it's like saying your name and telling you to do something. If you notice yourself having a conversation back with the voice, then it's not your own voice. And that's the the easiest way I tell people to be able to discern between, is this my voice? Is it not? And the last thing I feel really guided to say is there are now um, forces here on this planet. And this is where it starts to sound a little kooky and a little far out, but it's real stuff that I see. Uh, there are forces here that are not here for good and not here to help us. They're actually here to sabotage us, right? Because for every person that wakes up and raises their vibration, our planet as a whole is becoming brighter and lighter and higher frequency. And there's forces that don't want that. And so on the, on the micro scale, if they can bring down as many people as they can with anxiety, depression, and like keep your vibe so low, then then they're happy they're winning. So you'll hear voices in your mind that are fear-mongering, that are negative, that are sabotaging you and your relationships. If you hear those voices that sound really negative, a lot of times those might not be your voice. And there are times when it could be a parent's voice, you know, like maybe your dad had a really negative outlook and you adapted that voice and there's a murmur or an echo of that voice. Um, But the ones that are kind of 
more sabotaging you and encouraging you to do things, say things, take actions that are not aligned with what it is that you actually want that feel lower vibrational. Those are actually going to be energies that are outside of you that are not helpful. Um, so a lot of times with my kids, I use the language and my, and my daughter's therapist helps develop this language for me to use with my kids. And it's, Oh, that sounds like an unhelpful thought, right? So we don't have to call it like, Oh, that sounds like a negative entity speaking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, but we can say like, Oh, that sounds like an unhelpful thought. Let's make that one go away. (laughs) And that's, We start to take more control over those different voices in our minds, so to say. <laughs> I don't know if that answered. I feel like I went a little bit all over with that. No, answer. that was, it was funnily enough, I was going to ask you exactly what you were like. And I, I just want to add one more thing. I was actually going to ask you about that. If there's negative, what, what about the negative voices in our head? And that that's so interesting to me about how, I I don't know if there's an answer to this. So feel this might be a dead end, but, but why are there? And and I think maybe you just said it like, but I don't understand fully. Why are there those entities? Like why? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, What are they doing? What are they doing? Yeah. (laughs) This week's episode is brought to you by Nutrafol. Listen, I think about hair more often than I would like to admit, but it affects us. It affects how we think about ourselves. It affects our mood when we feel good about how we look and hair changes can happen due to age and biology and lifestyle. And no matter what the root cause of your hair concerns may be, Nutrafol meets you exactly where you are with science-backed formulas tailored to your needs. The hair care products that you use can make or break your hair health. Overwashing, color treating, hair heat styling, which is something I do, product usage in general. It can cause the pores in your scalp to clog and it can cause dryness and Nutrafol is, is here to help. And while Nutrafol's hair growth supplements target the root cause, of a lot of these issues, Nutrafol's scalp care formulas help create a healthy environment for improved hair quality. The shampoo, scalp mask, and scalp essence are each very gentle and effective. They work to exfoliate, purify, and balance the scalp for improved hair health. So you may be familiar with this, you know, on your skin, like your face, right? But your scalp is is no different. You know, you don't want to have clogged pores just like you don't want a clogged toilet. And the skin that's on your scalp is very important. You know, when it's not cared for regularly, it can become clogged as well. Also dry, also irritated, and all of that can lead to a poor environment for natural hair growth. But have no fear, Nutrafol's physician-formulated scalp care products are here, and they're clinically shown to balance the scalp and visibly improve hair health and strength in two weeks. With their 100% fragrance-free, zero parabens, incredible ingredients, color, and extension safe, these products are 
are really great. They're the top of the line. And of course their supplements are their foundational products and very important for healthy hair growth. As you may know, if you've been listening or hearing the, these ads the last few weeks, I actually had on one of the founders of this company, Sophia, years ago. We talked about hair. We talked about so much more than that. She's incredible. And I've been a fan of this company truly ever since. So take the first steps towards improved hair and scalp health now. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our U.S. listeners $10 off your first scalp care order when you go to Nutrafol.com scalp and enter promo code LETITOUT. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommended Nutrafol for healthier hair. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash scalp and enter promo code let it out for $10 off your first scalp care order. This is available only in the U.S. for a limited time. That's Nutrafol.com slash scalp promo code let it out for $10 off your first scalp care order. Thank you so much, Nutrafol. Okay, Paleo Valley, you know them, you love them. They are incredible. They have so many products that I know that I love that perhaps you know and love, like their beef sticks, like their capsules for all sorts of things. But the one I'm gonna talk about today, the Essential C Complex. It's my favorite, I'm not gonna lie to you. Virtually every vitamin C supplement on the market is actually not the best. It's like a synthetic version of vitamin C that's made in a lab. But what's cool about this one is that it is a version of vitamin C that has, you know, absorbic acid is the outer layer of the entire vitamin C complex. So when it's isolated in most products, it's missing a lot of the beneficial compounds found in whole foods, such as full spectrum vitamin C, right? But listen, these supplements are the full picture. With Paleo Valley Essential C Complex, they use three of the most potent vitamin C rich superfoods on the planet. The amala berry, the camu camu berry, and this specific type of cherry. So for 450 milligrams of natural, whole food sourced vitamin C per serving, nothing synthetic, no harsh chemicals, just food, try out the Essential C Complex. It's what I'm taking, I love it, and I really think it is useful. I didn't know that vitamin C was useful for so many different things. You know, I I did know that It's important as a vitamin for a strong immune system. I think that's a pretty known part of vitamin C. But humans are one of the only mammals that don't make vitamin C on our own, meaning it's vital that we get it in our diet. So with that, you know, we just want to make sure that we're getting something that's particularly important and 
One study out of New Zealand even found that vitamin C can reduce anxiety symptoms in teens. Another study found that higher vitamin C levels were associated with elevated mood. And another still found that vitamin C can lower levels of the stress hormone called cortisol in the body. And one found that it can even help with sleep. So, you know, try it out, give it a go. And the, the best part is while you're there, you can check out all the different products. You know, I love their bars, you know, I love their beef sticks. But when you go there, if you go to paleovalley.com slash let it out, you can get 15% off your first order. So why not give it a go? Head over to paleovalley.com slash let it out for 15% off your first order. That's P-A-L-E-O-B-A-L-L-E-Y.com slash let it out for 15% off your order. Thank you so much, Paleo Valley. So here's what I'm hearing right now. It's very simple. It's light and dark, right? So it's like asking like, why does night come, right? So night comes, day comes, light comes, dark comes. So dark will always exist, but the it becomes a problem. And we'll use the word problem because that's a nice, easy word to understand when we fall out of balance, right? When we fall out of balance. So if you just think in terms of night and day, if it were always night, our plants wouldn't grow because they wouldn't receive the sun that they need. Um, the world wouldn't be as safe, you know, because of the things that a lot of the darker things take place in the night, the um, crime and et cetera. A lot of it takes place in the night in the dark. So there's a lot of things that take place in the dark can be good though. It can be restful. Um, it can be respite, you know, that we need after a long day in the light in the sun. So balance is key, but there are. Uh, forces that that exist in the dark that would like to um, push us out of balance, right? Push us out of balance to where the dark then takes over the light and and then starts to go very like Dr. Strangey on us. Um, so that's like one of my favorite comics and movies is Dr. Strange. It's actually very much our reality. A lot of people would never believe, um, but it is. And I think, and, and that's why I love Dr. Strange too, because his character in the beginning, he doesn't believe in that stuff, you know, but then he very quickly realized that he doesn't have a choice of to believe or not to believe when it comes down to the fact that the dark is here and we have to protect against it. Also, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, right? So in Harry Potter, um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? So you're learning about, they're, they're learning about the darkness Harry Potter and his peers are going to their professors like, hey, I think we need to learn how to defend against the dark arts. And the professors are like, no, 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 you don't. Like, they're not, there's no darkness here. That's old. That's from like way back in the day. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 we, we keep having dreams. We feel like it's coming. And the professors refuse to teach these, these young people how to protect against it. So Harry Potter decides, I have no choice but to teach my peers because our, our seniors are not going to teach us. And so he teaches his peers and the next thing you know, the dark is there and we're, we're kind of in that moment, not to, not to say it in a fearful way, uh, cause I'm not afraid, but we're, we're definitely there. There's definitely this energetic battle happening between light and dark and polarities. And it's just a natural part of existence, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's why what's so beautiful is that a lot of us are feeling called to up our light to up our frequency and that alone helps us to to stay in balance yeah i 
I think that, thank you. That was really, I'm just like, that's hitting me hard. <laughs> it's really, yeah. it's really interesting. It's an interesting conversation. I, I, the word Abraham Hicks really resonates with me and, and, and has for a really long time. And, and the way that they talk about this is that we need contrast, right? Like we need right. to have to, to notice the good. You have to see the bad. And if we light dark, you know, dark is before the dawn, that sort of thing. Um, and I, that really makes sense to me. You know, I think that that obviously is a, a way to, to view how we constantly have to move through each day, you know, and, and we wouldn't come here if we didn't want to experience the full spectrum of, emotions and right. i i think you know now with people being more open to talking about mental health and you mentioned you know your child and therapy and you mentioned you know the the work that you do being similar to what a therapist does when you were talking to Sawyer but also having these distinctions which is that you work on a more spiritual plane. And one of the parts of your work that I I found really interesting when I was preparing for this was you were talking about how our society collectively has this lack of faith. And you were comparing that to this abundance of fascination with true crime and serial killer content, yeah. um, which, you know, I can see the fascination in that I can't engage with it at all because it will, it will scare me, you know, too yeah, much. Yeah. Um, right. but, but I also understand we all need to have decompression time. It's something I've been contemplating a lot. Like we need things that are just joyful you know or not even joyful yeah. but that just entertain us and yeah. also we need you know art and um learning and i love documentaries as much as the next guy but sometimes i i'm not going to want to decompress with that heavy documentary you know but i want right. to watch it another time so we have to right. sort of manage this content and uh, you were talking about the interplay between you know our society lacking faith and can you talk about what you mean by that and then comparing it against um you know this this fascination with crime yeah <laughs> i love that i love that you watch that um yeah there's so many layers to our our and i'll i'll call it like loss of faith because um there was a time when we had it you know like thousands of ago hundreds of years ago and then man took over to be the voice of um the unseen and then it became one man being the voice of the unseen for a mass so to say you know whatever religion it might have been and when it moved to the one man being the voice and the mass deciding that that one man was worthy of being the voice then the mass kind of um and I mean this in the most loving way, kind of got lazy with their faith, <laughs> right? It was like, oh, it's it, a lot of people do it today. Like, I don't want to think about it too much. Like, you know, somebody just tell me, somebody just tell me. <laughs> and so let's say it's a church. Let's say it's like a Catholic church or a Christian church or a Baptist church uh -huh. or a Hindu church. Um, Like, 
let's say, you know, what, whatever the, oh, I the see. group is, uh, there were groups of individuals that placed their power into the hands of one man. And I say man because, you know, historically, there weren't very many female leaders in religion and faith-based communities, right? Mm-hmm. Historically, it's been a man that was the voice responsible for the group, the community, the spiritual community. And we've now moved to a time where you you might find um, faith-based communities where there's a female that's leading the community, but a lot of times it was a man. And so right, right there from the get-go, there's, um, there's a little bit of imbalance in the messaging, right? And so we, as a people, we, we would place our faith in these one leaders of our communities and we would eventually not think for ourselves, not connect on our own. Some people in congregations would, you know, and I'm talking again, faith-based communities, churches, um, religious communities, et cetera, and even households, you know, as, as smaller um, segments of those extended faith-based communities, the household would still um, place a lot of power in an external figure outside of their home. So we started to slowly move away from connecting on our own and trusting on our own that we have the power to connect to a source, whether that source is God or Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad, right? Or the angels, whatever that source is. Um, there was this movement where pe- people, we'll just call it people, humans, people were starting to lose the faith in themselves and then starting to lose the faith in something outside himself and that connection. And now we've come to a lot of people where um, I, I get a lot of people with religious trauma who were burnt by the church. Myself, I've experienced that as well. So a lot of people were burnt by the church or um, forced into thinking or marriages or uh, behaviors, you know, whatever it might be that they didn't feel aligned with, but they were led by usually a man that they trusted in their faith-based community. And they were wounded by that. They lost their sense of self. They lost their sense of autonomy. They lost their sense of power. And ultimately, they decide, you know what? God's not real. Um, I don't want to be a part of this, right? And they just move away from it entirely. So I see that a lot. And I myself have experienced it. That's why I feel comfortable to say that. Uh, because of how many people have come to me like, yeah, like agnostic, atheist, I've been there. Um, so with that said, what I see now, and, and I've been kind of shared this with, with my guides, with the angels, um, I do believe in God now. And so some of the things that I've heard in just my prayer and meditation is that, you know, there is a direct correlation between why so many people feel lost, feel depressed, feel anxious. There's a direct correlation between that and their loss of faith. And so when I speak on that, it's not just that, um, you know, they've lost faith or they, they lack faith. And so they're interested in the occult, you know, the serial killers, but there are these, there's, there's an insensitivity now to that. So there's the, um, the normalization of the depressed state or the unhealthy mental state. And then on top of that, there's this, uh, I guess I would call it like desensitization. Um, right now, as I'm saying, I'm getting a picture of like, like a wound that has been kind of wounded over and over again. And then eventually like you don't feel it. So 
now we can watch these pretty horrific things. And, and there are people that don't feel much. They feel curious. They, they want to sit for it. They're, they can watch a whole season. But the beautiful thing is that there's a large group of people that can't. There's a large group of people that are like, Oh my God, that's horrible. I can't watch that. So not saying that everyone, you know, is lacking faith or everyone is now okay with serial killers and that level of psychosis, but there is a large, um, there, there is, a population or um, I don't want to, I don't know what's the word group that is desensitized to that. And there's an energy that transfers from, from that show and from those characters in those shows into your spirit. And I've talked to people that tell me after they watched it, they had like super weird, dark dreams. So it gets into your spirit when you're watching those things. You were speaking about how, even the most mindful Zen sort of masters of mindfulness or mindset have to constantly be vigilant of managing the content that we, or, or just constantly vigilant about what you made this great analogy, which was changing the air filter, like they constantly, we all need to constantly be changing the filter on our yeah. brains because there are, you know, forces coming yeah. around us and the content that we take in, or just, you know, even if we're not tr- actively like choosing to take it in, the billboard right. that we see or the commercial that we hear or the, you know, trailer we weren't asking to watch or whatever, it, it gets yeah. into our, <laughs> our subconscious. Right. And I, I think about that a lot, but I also am thinking about, you know, what I was saying before about the importance of decompression time and needing to turn to something for comfort. Like you're not going to solve anything by this, but it just makes me like, I I guess we'd call them guilty pleasures, but there are some things that I just, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I volunteer at this this place called Eight Two Six, and and I like help these um, children with a homework. But really, I'm like not very good at the helping with homework part. But they the way they break it up is is kind of cool. Like they do writing at the beginning, like a kind of honestly like journaling based a little bit, and creative writing. And then we do homework time, and then for the last. I forget how long it is, maybe half an hour. We call it decomp time. And usually it's like playing operation with them or board games or they can do, they can literally like do whatever they want. But I think that's so important. And if I don't give myself like a half an hour of decomp time where I'm not meditating or journaling or trying to grow, you know, or exercising or working or hanging out with friends, like I need there to be like this other thing. But you know, the whatever that is. Yeah. And storytelling is so important. But anyway, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. And if you, how you manage decomp time with the, with what we're talking about in in the changing of the air filter analogy. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Such a good question. I felt really guided to tell you that I love Viking movies and shows and like um, historical drama. Um, Some of it is quite gory and quite violent. why I love those, you know, maybe there's like a past life component. Maybe I, I do enjoy seeing how we have these battles with these like really 
really dark forces and how we overcome. Um, so watching those types of shows also, as much as it's like relaxing and it is my decom time, uh, it also inspires me in a way and it gives me hope. And I would say also, I love, um, like sci-fi fantasy books and movies and same thing, those uh, creatively, visually, they're very stimulating, but they're also inspiring and hopeful. And I see myself in the characters or I'll see my children in the characters. So I love, I do love movies and shows that are not documentaries that are fantasy or um, historical or like when on a night when we don't have our kids, we're like, let's watch a rated R movie, you know, like we want to watch that stuff. Um, So I totally get that. And I love when you said the, when, like when the trailer pops up that you didn't want to see, because I will feel triggered like in my core, if I see um, a trailer for like a Dahmer show or something like that. Right. And I'm like, why is this, why is this showing up? Why are they pushing this so hard? Um, but it, but you know that it's not right for you because it doesn't feel right inside, right? So mm-hmm. um, there, there's going to be guilty pleasures and things that we want to watch and that we feel drawn to. And you might even be like, why? Like I, sometimes I'll, I'll be drawn to a movie and I'm like, why am I drawn to this? And then maybe the next day in conversation, a metaphor from that movie pops up in Soul Medicine. I'm like, oh, I know why I watched that. Or maybe it just made me laugh. You know, or just made me cry or whatever it is. But if it doesn't feel right in your spirit, if it feels like, oh, you know, um, but if you feel entranced by it, I just saw the image of like the hypnosis eyes where your eyes are like spiraling and you're like drawn in, but it feels wrong. Then you need to like cut that connection and do not watch that, you know, Um But a hundred percent when it comes to kind of like pure guilty pleasures outside of doing the work and trying to always keep our vibes up and all the things, um, you know, as long as you know who you are and you have those intentions to be that high version of yourself, I think we can find the good in literally anything, even if it has swears or violence or whatever it is. If if you have that intention for yourself, you're going to find it. Like, I love dirty rap music. And so I'll listen to I'll be like, wow, this is really empowering, you know, and then the kids will come in. I'll be like, turn it off. (laughs) Um, So we know we don't want our kids to hear it because of the swears, but then we can listen to it and we can get something entirely different out of it, you know, so. What is it that you're getting out of it? If you're getting relaxation, if you're getting laughs, if you're getting inspiration, you're still getting something good and you're still getting that that break, that respite that you needed when you went to that guilty pleasure source. Yeah, it, it really is interesting to to think about that. I don't I don't have a TV and I, I have a very like small MacBook Air that I do all my work on, you know. It's like basically the size of an iPad, you know? And so the last thing I want to do is like fire up this thing at the end of the day and watch things. So I I just barely watch TV, but I was house sitting recently and they had a a proper TV and (laughs) I fired that up and I watched a couple things and yeah, I I enjoyed it, you know? And I I think that there's... There's definitely, you know, Abraham Hicks said, it's like your feelings are your road signs. And to, but I love that analogy of yep. seeing the circle eyes because sometimes it's like, oh, or, or David Foster Wallace talks about this of like how TV, I mean, and, and social media is just this on another level. But 
sometimes yes. it can be too good and can just pull you in. And then you're like, all right, this is, I could be here all day, you know, and it's very addictive yeah. and knowing that's my personality. And yeah, it, it's interesting. And I think, you know, I used to realize that I was using spirituality and personal growth and self-development content as entertainment. And I was just watching more and more and more. And it was really filling my, my sphere. And I was, and I was learning and, and taking in the information, but I wasn't actually integrating anything, you know, at a certain point, it just becomes words. Um, So I think we need the like, actual bookends of, of our days in that way. And I, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. Do you, do you have any thoughts on like why true crime and this fascination with women in particular is, has grown in the last 10 years? Do you have any, like, I don't know. I'm just curious. Fascination with women in like, like- wanting to take in that sort of content, especially in podcasts. Like it's so popular, oh, probably the most popular. Yeah. So literally what I just heard was unresolved trauma. Um, so I can say as a person who has done a lot of work to heal my own traumas that, uh, and this might be going like super <laughs> R-rated, um, but my taste in uh, like my, mm, let me think how to put it. My sexual fantasies have shifted over the years and my t- my sexual tastes have shifted over the years as I've healed my unresolved trauma. So there is a bit of stimulation that women find when we are listening to or watching crime dramas. It doesn't have to be sexual, but there is a stimulation. And if there is a certain amount of unresolved trauma, and sometimes it might not be this lifetime, right? It could be past life trauma that's still unresolved. We might feel drawn to those types of stories because those stories, they mimic something in our past, right? It mimics something in our past or something that we've seen or experienced. And again, I repeat, could be past life. Um, so when we're feeling drawn to that, it's okay. You know, not, don't judge yourself if you feel drawn to a true crime show on a podcast or on the TV. It could also be that the stories of triumph inspire you and stimulate you it might not just be the abuse in the in the story but your tastes do change right as you heal and as you grow and as you evolve so depending where you are you might find yourself really drawn to those and then as you evolve you might find that you're no longer um you no longer have the taste for those things like you did before so it, it does change but there's i i never judge i never hold judgment for what our tastes are, because I think that there's something innate inside of us that might desire that just like when we crave a certain food because we're low on iron, you know, like we crave things because of a deficiency inside or because of a need inside. And so we might crave certain types of shows or dramas or um, chaos even because of something inside of us that we're deficient in because of a need. I love that. That makes so much sense to me. And it goes back to what you said before of like, who knows, maybe there's a analogy in that, or maybe you can recommend it to someone else who they really right. needed to see it or whatever it is. I, I, I really, and I think it just, like you said, with 
fantasy or or what you know harry potter whatever like having these shared stories as examples to explain and empathize and connect with each other through shared storytelling i think is really really cool i i once heard just like (laughs) to to dock the boat about the um, true crime thing. I I think I heard on a comedy podcast or something, they were talking about how women in particular are, are drawn to it because the blood and gore of it in some (laughs) way, because or are, are typically just, this was just in terms of like more so than men, like more true crime is more, it's listened to more by women than men. And, and that's like just a, a fact in podcasting, at least. And I think beyond yeah. that, because women are more comfortable with blood because of having periods. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> it makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we totally have a different comfort level with blood. Oh, be periods, birth, right? Childhood. Totally. Oh, we my God. Yeah. It's gory. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. We have a higher tolerance threshold for pain and for blood and gore because like we literally live it and experience it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and I must say, fun story about just like the guilty pleasures of the movies and the shows a couple of years ago, maybe like five or six years ago. Um, I was in a shaman training in the city and I it was a really awful training. Um, it was a training with someone who had trained under a world renowned shaman. I was really excited about it because I wanted the certification under my belt. And if the woman was, you know, older shaman, she was a bit of a bigot and she was also possibly a racist. Um, she made a lot of remarks that were very clearly racial remarks about my hair, um, you know, little things. And so I left the weekend just feeling so hurt and so disturbed and questioning if I even wanted to be a shaman, if there were shamans like that in this world. And like, you know, what is this profession? <laughs> and which is ridiculous because in every profession, there are people like this. Um, but I went home and was like, maybe I'm not meant to teach shamanism, right? Maybe I'm just not meant to teach it because I was on the track for the teacher training. And I was so sad and so depressed. And the thing that lifts me up is watching Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So I just like stayed in bed for a day and just binge watch Harry Potter movies. And it was in The Sorcerer's Apprentice that I saw Harry Potter teaching his peers. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm Harry Potter, (laughs) you know, but it, it started from me just literally just wanting to close the blinds, sit in the dark, cry and watch Harry Potter. And that was what triggered me to get my ass up, write my shaman training manual and start teaching this. Um, So you just never know like what could come of those moments when you allow yourself to just enjoy a show or a song or an outing or a date, you know, you never know what can come of those moments. So I highly encourage taking them to taking those moments to just live and see later what comes of that. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that that happened to you at all and that experience. And I'm really, that's such a cool story that it's so cool that, that planted a seed and, and that is now growing with you. And 
it's like, I really think what you said about looking at it like a food deficiency that you just might not know, but like follow your cravings, like to avoid your cravings is so sad, you know, and, and probably comes from, from diet culture and internalized fat phobia and all, you know, all these other, other negative forces around us, but it's really important. I believe to, to follow them for, for several reasons. And some of them might just be because you want to have something. And I, I think that we have so few sensory pleasures that that one is important, but, but also because like you said, the, the, who knows what the vitamin deficiency is and, and who knows what, what programming can, can lead to or unlock. And I've experienced that so many times in my life. There's one I'm like dying to tell you about, but I'm also like for the sake of time and looking at my <laughs> notes, I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. So I might have to, I'm going to, I'll tell you after this, but yeah, we'll become friends and share these stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that, but yeah, I just, I, I really, really love that. And it's, um, it's kind of like having, a, I'm having a watershed moment about this right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> well, sort of related to, to what I, you know, I was getting into with talking about diet culture, a, a topic that you have written extensively on and is, a, I would say from, from my, um, understanding of, a cornerstone of, of your work and what you do with people. And it, it seems to come up, up a lot, which is, very understandable in the society that we both are in, which is beauty and embodying yeah. true beauty. What does that mean to you? And does that relate? To, we talk a lot about body image on, on this show. Does that relate to that? Oh, yeah. So, um, yes, 100%. So, first, like really cool synchronicity. Yesterday morning, I woke up from this dream. Um, and, and I mentioned earlier that my mom passed away, but I woke up from this dream where I had a package, like it was like an Amazon package where you get your book shipped in and I was clutching it to my chest and it was her last order of books, right? Which actually she, she never used Amazon ever. <laughs> Um, cause she passed away eight years ago and she just was, she had not crossed into that realm of Amazon. But in the dream, it was like, Oh, I had mommy's last Amazon order and it was these five books and I was clutching them so closely to my heart and I laid them out on the table for my aunt and uncle. And I was telling them like, Oh my God, mommy's passions are living through me. And the books were books on beauty and books on, um, like natural beauty. So it was like herbal books on natural beauty and all these things. And, and I was saying in the dream, like she was so passionate about these things, but she never did anything with it. She never took it forward. She never shared it. She never studied it or pursued it. She just, well, she studied it on her own, but never did anything more with it. Um, but I was texting my aunt yesterday and I was like, I'm just remembering how mommy always said to me, um, Athena, you know, you're not just beautiful on the outside. She'd be like, you're so beautiful on the outside, but you are so beautiful on the inside. You have such a beautiful heart. And I remember how much that meant to me to hear her say that and how like it just like set like into stone inside of me. And I took a lot of pride on inner and outer beauty and just allowing that to radiate. 
And interestingly enough, um, last night, my partner, David, said to me that his cousin had told him we had a bunch of family here the day before. And she came to him and she said, David, Athena is not just so beautiful on the outside. She's like, she's so beautiful on the inside. And so now my mom's passed away. Um, But it was interesting that that message that I was remembering from her found its way to me through another cousin, right? So we had a lot of family here. And I thought, whoa, you know, mommy's still talking to me and she's still reminding me of this. And I was saying to David that I really, really love talking with women and helping women to see the beauty inside of themselves, but to also allow themselves permission to give attention to their outer beauty and to, to figure out ways to do it in a way that's natural for them. Um, today I'm seeing a lot of women and I'm, and there's no judgment in me saying this, um, but I'm seeing a lot of women that are using, um, kind of like surgical enhancements, fillers, you know, young women, like women in their twenties that are doing the Botox and all the things. And I say, whatever makes you feel beautiful, then do that. But what I'm finding is that a lot of them are still not feeling beautiful. They're still not feeling like they're enough. They're still feeling like they have to endlessly do more to enhance themselves, to add on to themselves, um, to change themselves. That it, they're they're never feeling inherently beautiful to where they feel like I don't have to do anything. And I'm really passionate about doing what the work, whatever the work is whether it's physical or non-physical, so that when you wake up, and I make this goal for myself, my goal in terms of beauty for myself is I want to wake up and feel like I don't need makeup. And that means I want to take really good care of my skin, my hair, my body, but also I want to glow from within when I wake up so that even if my eyes are a little bit tired, I'm still glowing because my heart's happy because I'm content right? There's a, there's a glow that comes from contentment and satisfaction with yourself and self-love. You know, that, that glow when you're in love, when you have that with yourself, there's a certain glow. And so in my work with women and we do, I do bring up beauty and I host goddess retreats and we go deep and we cry and we heal and we, we bring back those little girls inside of ourselves that need to hear that they're beautiful because we, Maybe everybody's mom didn't tell them that they were beautiful inside and out. And maybe their parents focused on what was wrong with them or changing them. And so we go back and we reclaim those parts. We reparent them. We tell them they're beautiful. And we keep telling that part of ourselves. And we look in the mirror, even when it's uncomfortable, until we start to actually fall in love with ourselves. So it doesn't matter if you're doing um, external enhancements or not. My goal is to help women to glow from within and to feel beautiful inside and out. And I'll, I'll coach women on like, Oh, okay. Let's look at your wardrobe. I had a client a couple weeks ago. I was like, let's go look at your closet. We're on zoom. She's in Canada. I'm like, show me your closet right now. Why the hell do you have um, metal hangers in your closet? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So things like that, that you wouldn't expect maybe for a shaman to say, but how do your clothes feel on those metal hangers? Like, do, do they feel good? Do they feel like they're highlighted? And then let's look at those clothes on those hangers. How do you feel when you're wearing those clothes? Do you feel like a goddess? Do you feel beautiful? If you don't, then take it down right now out of your closet. It shouldn't be there. So everything in your closet should make you feel beautiful. Even if it's a t-shirt, I have t-shirts and tank tops 
that make me feel beautiful. Right now I'm wearing a tank top and a kimono uh, that I would do yoga in, but I feel beautiful, right? So working with women to begin to do the inner and outer work so that they feel beautiful inside and out, no matter their size, no matter their age, um, no matter their traumas, you know, their their wealth status, no matter any of it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it has to be part of your work and it has to be part of the conversation because, you know, for for better and or worse, it and it has to come up on on this podcast or I want it to, and it does because we live in a world that values it, you know, and, and be- yeah. standards of beauty have have always existed. And so I think the way we define it and redefine it for ourselves, I, I want to read you something. So this is yeah. from this article that came out in 2005 in the New York Times. It's called The Unfairest of Them All. And mm-hmm. it's talking about this essentially. But at, at the very beginning, there's this line. I'll just read it. In a world in which we have become increasingly uncomfortable with the notion of disparity, the seemingly irreparable differences of class and of race that Americans in particular prefer to miss over or even as we embrace the ideal of cultural diversity, the one undeniable aristocracy we pay our respects to is that of beauty. Ooh. And I, I, I just want to, you know, kind of get your, get your thoughts on that because I, I think there's something there of like, it's another, it is a currency that we, we have that, you know, it's something that, yeah. I think age comes to it. I think body image is, is part of it. I think there's there's so much to it, but people treat people differently based on on how they look. It's a it's it feels crude to say, but it's something that I some someone said on on the podcast um recently like in those exact words and I was like, "Huh, is that true?" And I'm like, "Maybe it is." You know, I I I think yeah. Yeah, so I just I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much on so many levels. So I've been thinking about this. Um, like you like in the article, you mentioned the um cultural diversity piece. And I noticed um some of the efforts of women to look according to a certain standard of beauty. And when I was in high school, actually my senior, I've always been a passionate writer, right? So I've always taken like AP writing classes. When I was in college, I was taking women writing classes. Um, and I write, I still write. So I have a published book. But when I was a senior in high school, my thesis project for my um, AP writing composition class was on the concept of beauty. So this is something I've been writing about for, um, I guess, like over 20 years. <laughs> okay. Um, so I wrote about how as we continue to evolve and become more and more multicultural versions of ourselves, you know, continuing to blend races and cultures, we become more beautiful expressions of um, the human, right? Just like the human. And so there were a lot of studies done over ideals of beauty. And they started to find that certain, you know, certain forms of symmetry uh, within the facial composition, certain forms of symmetry in the body, um, certain levels of curves, but just analyzing the face alone, symmetry, the spacing between the eyes, the fullness of the lips, 
the height and dimension of the lips, the nose, you know, the structural dimensions of the face and even the tonality that is agreed upon across all cultures as a standard of beauty. And so I write this thesis, you know, over 20 years ago. And then right now, today, I'm looking around, I'm like, wow, this is so interesting how, and I'm a woman of color, right? It's so interesting how at one point, um, I was ashamed of my lips because maybe they were more full than my white friends because I in predominantly white schools, right? So I'm looking at like, wow, it's so interesting that women are now injecting fillers to have lips that look like mine, you know? And, and wow, it's so interesting. Maybe they're um, they're doing things with their hair to make it look like my natural hair when there was a time when I was straightening my hair because I was ashamed of my curls. Um, so I'm finding that the appreciation of certain elements of my beauty, my personal unique cultural beauty that I once was ashamed of or that I didn't find beautiful and I feared others didn't find beautiful, that now I'm I'm watching the world around me appreciate those those characteristics and qualities. So I I'm seeing that shift lifetime that I actually wrote about 20 years ago. And then I'm seeing all these biracial children. My own children are biracial. And I'm I'm noticing like the structure and symmetry of their faces and the textures of their hair and their beautiful coloring and you know all these things that I wrote about before I even thought of having kids. And now it's here. Um, so with that in mind though, I've been thinking and and really wanting to um, get this out to women to love the parts of you that make you unique, right? So that those qualities don't completely die out, you know, as we're changing our noses and we're changing our bodies and we're, um, we're, we're no longer seeing women maybe with small breasts. We're now, and now everybody's gonna have the same size of breasts <laughs> and everybody's gonna have the same size of booty and hips and, you know, tiny waists and the same eyelashes and the same brows. Cause we're tattooing our brows to be the same. And everybody's gonna have the same lips. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but what I'm, what I'm seeing is those qualities that a lot of women think are not beautiful, you know, a unique nose or unique scarring or beauty marks or um, birthmarks, hair textures, colors, those things that they think makes them different, that they're not loving and honoring. I really am hoping, wishing, praying and and asking how can I support those women seeing just how beautiful and allowing, giving themselves permission to to see and be the beauty in their unique self. So that's kind of where I am right now with it, where I'm like, all right, I'm doing the work with the women in my groups where we're one of my favorite self-love. I I do a self-love challenge. One of my favorite exercises is um, we do, um, we do mirror work, but what we do is we look for the qualities of our grandmothers. You know, we look for the qualities of our mothers and our grandmothers. And then we, we thank them for those qualities and we celebrate them. And by doing that, we start to love those parts of ourselves, whether it's the nose or the ears, or the legs. I have my great grandmother's legs <laughs> and I'm always like, Oh, my legs are so skinny. And, you know, but I love that. I love when my family says, wow, you stand like mama, her name was Ella and you look like her or you have her legs. You know, that's really special that she's living through me physically we're carrying that forward. Yeah. Something really beautiful in that. I really love that. I, my, my, it's funny who 
you brought up nose. I have like a, a very big nose. And, you know, as a kid, I was just like, wow, this is who, who knew this is what, this is what I'm working with, you know? And <laughs> my really close friend in, in, in Michigan, um, had a, had a similar nose and ended up changing it and which is fine, but it, it made me think a little bit. I was like, huh, I never thought that that would, that would happen. And then, um, yeah around the same day like the she had sent me you know i was of course like making sure she's okay in her surgery and it's a big deal it sounds you know unpleasant and um and my my friend here asked if she could take portraits of me and the way she was doing it was this sort of like black background thing and um mm. it was like from a profile and it was just like fully of my nose and i and i hated them i was just like oh god and i didn't post and i felt i was like oh i should because my friend took these and it was so nice of her and and then she one day she was like can i post it and i was like yeah of course i'm not gonna be a i'm just like yeah of course and too much of people please <laughs> say no i'm like it's fine um but it was a really interesting experience because and i tried to make the joke on it i was gonna say like like my new nose or like to, you know just, <laughs> but i didn't want to like i didn't end up making that joke because i like don't want to I don't want it to like be triggers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like make people who have changed their nose feel bad, which is like totally cool. Right. Um, right. But it was just so funny to get people's responses to that. And and um I think it that exercise sounds so useful and and yeah. I love just everything you you shared around that. It it it's so yeah, I, I, important to talk about, I think, and the the work you're doing around it is is so helpful. Yeah. And I think your nose is beautiful by the way. Oh, thank you. So much. I love that. I love seeing um, features that are unique and different and I just see the beauty in it. And I, and I liken it to um, this was something I wanted to kind of share as well with the, yeah. the concept of beauty is when you think of the flowers in the garden and if you had all the same flowers, you know, your garden was not diverse. It'd be kind of boring. <laughs> Uh, so it's really nice when we have all this diversity of beauty. It's like having a very rich and diverse garden. And the, the reason why I do place emphasis and, and, and high level priority on you feeling beautiful on the outside as well is because if you feel beautiful on the outside and the inside, um, you're going to be attracting in a lot of the things that you desire in life. And so when a woman feels beautiful on the outside, you know, and the inside, but the outside, she draws into her the things that she's seeking in her life, whether it's partnership, job opportunities, you know, whatever it is, she's drawing it in just like the flower draws the butterfly or the bee to itself. And there are certain butterflies that, that flock to different types of flowers, right? And there are certain flowers that attract different types of bees and butterflies and, um, pollinators. And so it's really important that we recognize the importance of beauty and drawing in and attracting in the things that we actually want and the things that we want to fulfill ourselves, right? Because essentially when we want to attract in a partner or a career, we want our friends, right? We we're we're seeking for someone to fulfill us. And that's what a pollinator does, right? With flowers. So allowing yourself to place some priority on that. Like, how do I want to look? How do I want to look on the outside? And how do I want to feel on the outside? That it does matter. It does matter. 
but it's not going to work for you if on the inside, you're not feeling worthy of whatever it is that you're drawing into yourself. Then that's almost like having a little bit of toxicity inside and you're drawing in these pollinators to fulfill you, but then they're drawing out that toxicity. And then you find yourself in really unhealthy situations because you weren't right on the inside. Um, so doing the doing the work so that you feel good on the inside and outside. And I know it sounds like a lot, but that's exactly why I have the soul medicine program to make it easier to do the work. It's so good. I have so many more questions for you. And this is usually when I start the rapid fire section. So I'm going to just try try to see if they can be rapid fire, just so we can yeah. fit in some more. Perfect. But, I'll but also, also, take your, also take your time. Um, yeah. And then I have a portion of this podcast where I ask questions from your friends. Um, and so we only had one mutual friend, but I did, I, we do have a question from, from our mutual friends. So, oh, cool. but I, I want to talk about your book. You have this incredible book called Leaving with Love. And you talk about how transitions, breakups, divorces, and, and you've mentioned that today are, you know, pivotal times for, for growth. Why do you think that is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a lot of times they're catalysts for us. And we've talked a little bit about the soul's journey. But um, when our soul maps out our journey here on Earth, if you can think of it like when you're planning a trip to Italy, I use that example, and you might have friends there, you know, and you're going to visit different friends at different times on different days or on different weeks. And you might spend a certain amount of time with friends, but maybe your plan is not to spend your whole trip with those friends. So when our soul maps out our journey on earth, you know, to come here and have our human experience, our soul might not have planned to spend the entire time with that one partner. And so if we understand that, then we can enjoy the time that we have with that person um, to the best of our ability and make a conscious effort not to think too far ahead. Um, that's really difficult. Not to say you can't plan your life with your partner because I'm in a partnership now where I genuinely believe that we'll be together till the end. And I want that and he wants that. And so we've kind of mapped out, you know, our, our next 60 years. <laughs> um, but there are partnerships where you might not feel that. There might be partnerships where you do feel that. And if it's broken by another soul, that that agreement, that contract, then you can feel really you can feel really broken inside. Your soul can feel really unresolved. Um, so then we end up feeling some heartbreak and and our spirit feels a little bit broken. We lose parts of ourselves. There's a lot that can happen. So the book, Leave with Love, is intended to help us through those moments to see the good and to also heal through the pain, right? So we can see the good of the experience, the time that we chose this, this soul. And we might feel things like rejection, which is a very human emotion. Um, so I talk a little bit about rejection in the book and how to not take that personally, because you are still a gem. You know, I use an example, like you're at a market. And someone's selling a gem and you're like, oh my God, that's a gorgeous amethyst. Like it's beautiful. I can put it in a ring, on a necklace, whatever. But you're like, I can't afford it. Or you're like, you know, amethyst really isn't my birthstone. I don't really want it. 
All right. That doesn't mean that amethyst isn't valuable. That doesn't mean it's not beautiful. It just means it's not for you. So sometimes in a relationship, one person might reach that point where they're like, you know what? Like, you're not for me. And we usually will, if we're the person being rejected, uh, feel a lot of pain and hurt and, and, and our ego bruised by it. But if we can accept and understand, wow, this isn't as much about me. It's just that I'm not for that person. You know, I'm not for them. Maybe they can't afford me. Maybe they don't see a future with me. Maybe we're not aligned and not taking that personally, but then holding on to faith and setting intentions that there is someone that's aligned with me. Um, I guide through in the book how to even make the decision because they're, I call them the seven demons of separation. So when you're trying to make the decision to leave a relationship or you're avoiding making the decision, um, you face these demons, you know? And so I kind of list out and describe them. Obviously fear is a demon of separation, um, but comfort, you know, we talk about illusions of comfort and how sometimes that illusion will keep you in a relationship that you know that it's time to leave. So we talk about how to slay those demons of separation, to get past them, to get across that battlefield and start to set some new intentions. We talk about um, d- redefining and defining like maybe the word separation or breakup isn't for you. You know, maybe just taking a break. Um, whatever language feels right, you can change the language around it. You can change what you call the other person. And so um, in the end, I take you through what we call the dark night of the soul, usually after a breakup. One person, if not both, experience a dark night of the soul. And so we talk through that. Like, what does that look like when you feel like you're alone and you, and you feel heavy and you feel depressed? How could, how could you get through it? And on the other side of it, we end with self-love, which ultimately a lot of my work all ends at self-love. Um, so that's the book in a nutshell. Mm, wow. That, I mean, I'm, there's so much in there that we just scratched the surface, but I loved everything that we did scratch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this kind of relates to the question from our mutual friend, Sam. And so Sam, who, you know, is really as much as Sawyer, another um, patron saying of this episode, because she connected us. So she asks, what wisdom or guidance can you offer the listeners on a journey of self-discovery and healing. Ooh, wisdom or guidance on the journey of self-discovery and healing. Ooh, I love that. So the first thing that just popped in my mind was the word permission. Um, so I feel like per- like constantly giving your per- yourself permission to be where you are, giving yourself permission to feel the hard feelings, to feel the pain, to cry, to be triggered, like permission through the entire journey of self-discovery, permission to pick up something that's new and different that maybe you never would have picked up before. Um, like right now I'm doing singing lessons, you know, permission to do things that make no sense, but you feel called to do like singing lessons, um, permission to take breaks, permission to take a day where you disconnect from the world and you just cry or you curl up in your bed or you read a book or you take a trip on your own. Um, just permission to do all the things that's, that's the, wisdom that I would give someone who's on their journey of self-discovery. So every time that little 
naggy voice in your head is like, no, you shouldn't do that. That's ridiculous. You're crazy. You don't have money for that. You need to be doing this. You should be doing that, right? Especially if it has a should in it. Then giving yourself permission. You can tell yourself, hey, I give you permission to do the do more than what you think you should do. Or I give you permission to take a day off. I give you permission to put yourself out there on that dating app. Um, whatever it is, giving yourself permission every time you feel that like naggy voice that's convincing you that you shouldn't do something that you feel called to do. Permission. Mm. Very cool. And yeah, I, yeah, I love that. One last thing. You talk about productivity and I am just enamored with how much you do as someone who has two dogs and five kids and, <laughs> you know, runs their business and helps so many people. And, and you, I, you know, I'm just, it's, it's so cool. <laughs> how, how do you think about productivity and, and what is something that has helped you with it? Oh, okay. Same answer as the last question. Permission. <laughs> so um, I give myself a lot of permission from day to day. So like today, I gave myself permission to um, not clean the dishes this morning, make myself a breakfast and go sit on my swing outside with my dogs. Um, so there are days where I give myself permission to not clean the house. There's days where I give myself permission to neglect my children and focus on my work or myself. Um, now there's that mom guilt, right? So I have to give myself that permission and have a little bit of self-talk around, you know what, Athena, you're an awesome mom. You need to take this time. When you take this time for yourself, you're going to fill yourself back up and be a better mom for your kids, or you're going to put this into your business and it's going to come back tenfold for your family. So go ahead. You have permission to neglect your children. Um, also, I might give myself permission to focus on my partnership and my relationship and take a step away from my work because same thing, you know, I worked really hard to manifest this partnership and this person who I adore. And so, um, giving myself permission to prioritize him uh, at times, giving myself permission to invest in my beauty routine or invest in going and doing a treatment. Um, you know, permission all the time and permission to be out of balance, permission to work really hard to get back into balance. So it's a constant dialogue that I'm having with myself because it's really difficult to balance everything when you have your own business and you're training people and you're hiring people and you have five kids and you have one kid that's basically an adult that's going out into the world and you have dogs following you around all day long and you have a partner that also needs your love and support it's a lot to balance so i'm constantly having self-talk and giving myself permission to be in the moment with what i feel most strongly called to be with mm, i love that that's that's really useful and yeah I heard you talk about this in the context of integrating your life rather than compartmentalizing it. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, there was a time where I kept everything very separate, like the food on my plate. I don't like the food on my plate to touch <laughs> unless it's like a jambalaya or, you know, a paella or something like that where all the ingredients are in one. Um, but I've been very with work, with health, with 
friendships and kids very like keep each thing in its own compartment. I was like that for years. And as my family grew and expanded and my work, I started to find it was really hard to separate my days into all these different parts and pieces. And I would time block things and I do like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to time block my day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I find like, damn, I can't fit it all in. <laughs> so I started to be really curious about, well, and, and this all came from a literal time block. Um, I started to be really curious about, well, I wonder if uh, some of these things could overlap. And then I could fit them all in and they don't have to be in their own separate time blocks. So maybe that looks like, you know, I, I really want to have um, dinner with my friends, but I also feel like I need to be with my partner. And this is an obvious one. So maybe I could do a dinner with my friends and my partner. Um, I really want to get my yoga in, but I also really feel like I need to get that 30 minutes of undivided time in with my daughter. Oh, maybe I can get her to do yoga with me for 30 minutes and we can get that time in together. So I started to be really curious about those overlaps. Where can I mix my food on my plate? And it, it, it's become really beautiful how I can mix even um, with work. You know, back in the day, we were told, like, keep work separate from friendships. Don't um, don't be friends with, you know, in, unless you're in an environment where you're at the same level with your colleagues. You know, but it was like the boss can't be friends with the people that work under them. And and I threw that under the bus. And I'm friends with a lot of the people that I've trained and that I work with or my clients. We've become friends and I have given myself permission to cross pollinate those relationships. And I mean, I have one dear friend that is uh, someone who was a client who became a colleague who I trained to work with me, who also became a dear friend who also helps with my dogs when we are out of town. <laughs> so, you know, I allow for those types of things to happen. And when I allowed that, it, it's really beautiful how um, things have be begun to integrate. I like that you use that word, um, how all those areas of my life have began to integrate with one another. Mm, yeah, I really, really liked that because my life has always it just has happened that way. And, and I, I too have tried to resist it, but I'm yeah. friends with everyone that I've worked with in every sort yeah. of capacity. And I'm, you know, feel like, so, and th there's maybe needs to be a, a boundary to this, but sometimes I feel like I'm always working and never working at the same time. You yeah. know? And, and yeah. there's, there's a lot there, but um, yeah, it's, it's muddy. Like it just is how, how the world is. And I think in the corporate structure, there's maybe some easier guardrails there, but outside of that, which I don't think is the greatest model for, of a structure ever. Um, there's, you know, everything is, is connected, you know, everything. Yeah, is everything. exactly. Exactly. Well, I love talking to you so much. I, I think you are, so wise and I learned so much in this conversation and I, I hope that you come back and, and we can talk about more because I, I still have so much of my notes that we didn't even touch. But right oh, now, do you want to share anything else? Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you that you never get to talk about? <laughs> anything that you want to recommend or share or, or leave people with? 
Yeah, I love it. Thank you. This has been so fun. Um, and I, I've, we've gone all over the place and I absolutely love it because there's so much that we can all share. Um, yeah, I feel like if, if we were given space, we could go on for like six hours. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know? But just to kind of close out everything, I love today's focus um, towards, you know, I felt like several times I was ending with the importance of self-love. And I feel like that is the golden key to the universe, you know, is that self-love. When when you love yourself, you're just, you shine really bright. You're able to attract in so much, so much good into your life. And so it's really worth it to do that work so that you can love yourself and you find that everything else literally just falls right into place. It is the golden key. Um, so yeah, with that in mind, I love that we got to talk about soul medicine. Um, I'm actually launching a new site next week, July 17th, um, for soul medicine with all my new facilitators, our new weekly classes, memberships, programs. And I'm super excited to help women to find that self love that is going to be the golden key to helping them manifest everything that they deserve and could create in their minds for this lifetime. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to share that. And I'm here for whoever needs to find me. Um, my new website that is launching next week is soulmedicine.studio. And also you can find me at seasideshaman.com. And that's my panhandle on Instagram, the Seaside Shaman. Well, it was so, so nice to have you. We end by letting out a deep breath. So inhale, let it out. (sighs) Thank you so much, Athena. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Okay. That was my conversation with Athena. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Get your hands on her book and engage with her work. She's so lovely. I I really enjoyed speaking with her and I'm so grateful that you're here and, and, and that you listen to us speaking. If you want to sign up for the Let It Out letter, you know where to do so. We're also on Instagram at Let It Out with three T's. I'll be back in two weeks. We're doing Summer Fridays still where the episodes are releasing every other week. So next week, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Amelia Ruby. If you haven't listened to that episode, I really loved it and I'm excited for you to hear part two. Okay. Thank you again so much for listening. This podcast is edited by the incredible Brianna Bain, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.